Well, John has a contract, and as I said, this will be a process, um, and I'm going to evaluate, you know, if from the players to the staff to to, to John. He's that we're going to talk about his plan for next year, and and go from there. That's that's the process, and you got to respect the process. It's the same process that David has gone through with me for a long time. So uh, I don't think he was able to answer that question right away. You can only control what you can control. You know, for example. You know, I didn't have any control over David's decision to, I'm very happy for him that he's made the decision for himself and for the organization, but I had, you have to handle that situation. And then when Barry comes in, I mean, Barry's coming in as a new general manager and he's going to make his assessments on what he feels is going to be the best moving forward. But I don't have any control over, over that. What I can do is welcome him in, try to pick his brain, try to learn from him, create a relationship, just do what you do. And if it's, and, and trust in that. I think if you work hard and you try to do the right things, then, then good things will happen. Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And I'm Adam Vingan, and I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> you are here because we have so much to discuss about the direction of the Predators franchise. You just heard Barry Trotz talking about John Hines' contract, John Hines talking about things he cannot control. We're going to hear a lot of those two voices, as well as David Poyle's voice here on the show this this week on this episode, because there's a lot of stuff to get to as the Predators conclude their season. Um, we talked last week, Michael, they were eliminated. Um, so we've got a lot of stuff to get to some, some interesting comments about Ryan Johansson. Uh, we will leave everybody today on the show with a, on a high note with a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say like some waterworks for David Poyle and his fight, but there's, there's some sappy stuff at the end of the show for all you Predators fans. So stick around at the end. We'll talk about the transition, what's going on from David Poyle to Barry Trotz, uh, and some of the weird questions that I, I felt, I don't know about you guys. But I felt awkward <laughs> with some of the questions and answers with the three of them on the same stage, which I thought was interesting. It's the first one I have missed since covering the team since 2017. I had a sick child at home. So we're going to play some audio for you guys. Uh, we're going to get into um, the last, the first 50 games and the last 20 games. How do all three of these guys evaluate what took place this season? Um, but of course, we got to start with John Hines being there at the press conference in the first place. Before we do, however, I'm going to put Adam and Michael to work here. Let's see you can say it better. The gold standard, Michael Gallagher, is brought to you by Jaspers. Adam Vingan, the gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That's a that you got to give it to Adam on that one, Michael. You got to give it to Adam. He put he put a little bit more love into it, you know? I, I let him have that one. <laughs> that's a that's very hospitable of you to let to let the guests have the have the victory. Go to Jasper's, everybody. It's a great place to eat. Jasper's, Arlo's favorite restaurant. Is that actually true? <laughs> he does. He does like Jasper's. Uh, Michael, you well, don't. You, you don't have kids yet, but I. Uh, my children, legitimately, my six and five year old daughters, legitimately request Jasper's because they have skee ball and air hockey and shuffleboard and Papa shot and Jenga and Connect Four, and we don't have to pay for any of it. And my wife and I can sit in the bar. Adam, you're not ready for this yet either. We can sit in the bar. And Jaspers will babysit our children for us. It's quite wonderful, actually. Yeah, Arlo likes the chicken tenders. 
and the French fries. There's a lot to like at Jasper's. Arlo specifically likes that. Uh, we know Michael likes the fries, that's for sure. Uh, okay, go to Jasper's, everybody. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on in the show. All right, uh, just first and foremost, what did you make of John Hines being at the press conference? Do we think that there is still decisions coming? That certainly is what Barry Trotz generally loosely alluded to, which is that there's a process here. We are going through evaluations. They went through a bunch of evaluations with players that they are trying to get back to Milwaukee as fast as possible, which they've already done. Um, just what do you make? What What are the signals? What are we reading between the lines here, Michael, in terms of what we saw on Monday and how the Predators presented their season-ending press conference? Yeah, I think John Hines kind of had to be there. I mean, if based off of what Barry Trotz said, it sounds like he's still evaluating. And I think that they I think he's kind of on the fence about John Hines. I think it's maybe 50-50 whether he comes back or not. There was a few things to like about, you know, kind of how he coached his team, taking basically an AHL roster, almost getting them into playoffs. And there's that's kind of John Hines' big argument. His case for staying is look what I did. Sold a bunch of pieces. We had a bunch of injuries, and I still almost made the playoffs with a team that you know should most of them should have been playing in the AHL. And I think it's it's a good argument for him. But also, I I think from what I've been hearing, and we got to think too. Barry Trotz was hired right out of the AHL. The, the Predators have a really good coach in the AHL right now, and Carl Taylor, who should very much be in consideration for this job. And I, I think from what I've been hearing, they're kind of waiting around to see how Carl Taylor does. If he goes and he wins a Calder Cup, I think that there's a very good chance that he could potentially take over take over this team and John Hines could be gone. That's just a little bit of speculating on my part from what I've heard from some people I've been talking to and stuff like that. But I still think Barry Trotz very much does not know if he's going to keep John Hines or not. And look, John Hines had to be at the press conference because if you if you keep him around and he's not at that press conference, then it looks bad on you for not having the incumbent head coach at the end of the season press conference. If you have him there and you do fire him, you can be like, well, at the time he was our head coach. We decided to go in a different direction. We have a regime change and you can kind of explain that away. So I, I initially thought like, oh, John Hines is at the presser. He's going to be there. And then after what Barry Trotz said about, well, John's under contract. I'm still evaluating him and stuff like that. I, I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to believe that he still is in the evaluation process. And he said he's going to go to Milwaukee and talk to the players and coaches there. He's going to talk to all the players here. I think Barry Trotz before the draft his basically all of his time is going to be caught up in, in evaluating everybody from top to bottom in the organization to see who's worthy of keeping around. And I think that very much includes John Hines. Oh, you want me to talk now? Yeah. Yes. Podcast. <laughs> Sorry. A little rusty here. Um, I did not make as much of John, excuse me, Barry's comments about John as maybe other people did, um, just because John already knew that Barry would not have said what he said to the assembled media if he hadn't already said that to John privately. So the fact that John sat there and heard Barry say from two seats over, John has a contract, he's under evaluation. John knew that. That wasn't a surprise to John. Um, and. I can see an argument for both keeping him and letting him go. When you look at the end of the season and you look at some of the underlying numbers, they're not good, but they were not supposed to be good because the team was basically, as Michael said, a glorified American league team. So since the trade deadline, which was March 3rd through the end of the regular season, the Predators were last in goals per game, last in expected goals per game, 
tied for 22nd in expected goals against per game. And UC Soros was second in goals saved above expected behind Igor Shesterkin. So what, all, what that tells me is what everybody already knew, that UC Soros was the primary reason on the ice that the Predators were within striking distance of a playoff spot in the final week of the regular season. But when I look at those numbers, you have, as you said, you have to keep in mind what John Hines was working with through most of that. With all due respect to Tommy Novak and Luke Evangelista and Igor Afanasiev, who I, I think all have bright futures, they're not Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi and Matt Duchesne, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so to, to have their numbers plummet like that was not a surprise, but it, it kind of goes back to what I think all three men said yesterday is uh, they, they didn't necessarily gloss over the first 50 games of the season, which were not good and were mostly healthy and a veteran laden team that was expected to compete for the playoffs and in the playoffs. So the other day when the, uh, the Washington capitals and, and our dear old friend, Peter Laviolette uh, made the decision to mutually part ways. Um, I, I, I crunched the numbers. I just wanted to know what Laviolette's tenure was like in Washington versus Heinz's time in Nashville so far. Peter went 115, 78 and 27 in three seasons, which is a 584 points percentage, and he won zero playoff series in two tries. Hines, what, Hines is 134, 95, and 18, which is a 579 points percentage. He went, has zero playoff wins in three tries. Uh, clearly, the Capitals are more talented than the Predators. They had a ton of injuries themselves, but I think Peter was just trying to get out ahead of him being fired because he had an expiring contract. So he decided to make the first move and, and, and leave on his own terms. Um, so, you know, I, I think Hines, if, if you're just comparing the two of them, would we say that Peter Laviolette is a bad coach because of what he did in Washington? It really is virtually the same as what Hines has done in Nashville. Now, of course, Peter has a, a far more uh, decorated resume than John does. Um, but I do think Hines has kind of, been behind the eight ball through most of his tenure. So it's my long winded way of saying that I think John Hines has earned the opportunity to start next season as Predators coach. <laughs> not, 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 the, and I, the, you know, to start is the, you know, that is the, you know, the, uh, the emphasis there, the operative phrase to start, because if things don't go well to, you know, to start next season, you know, it would be easier for the predators to fire John. But to me, unless to Michael's point, unless there is a candidate that is so clearly better than John Hines available that Barry thinks is his guy, don't hire, don't fire John just for the sake of firing John. If his guy is not available, there is no problem keeping John in the job to start next season. I, I don't know. Uh, so I can be sold on that. I think Michael, actually, you kind of convinced me when we were talking through this, like, the key is having Carl Taylor as the succession plan, like making sure that he is the guy that takes over as the interim. Should that happen? Should you keep John Hines and go down a path where it doesn't work? 
you Carl Taylor needs to be the guy to take over because then he gets an audition as well. Does that mean he needs to be on the, the big roster? Michael, I don't know about the Calder Cup. I know fan like I don't know how much fans care about the Calder Cup. I don't know if winning the cha- like your job is to develop it's kind of like minor league baseball. Like your job is to develop players to play in the NHL, not always just to win the games you're coaching. And sometimes those two things can kind of run against each other. Uh, in terms of what you're trying to do. I don't know how much the Calder Cup, in my opinion, dictates it, but I agree with your basic point, which is that Carl Taylor should be the succession plan in the middle of the season next year, should it go wrong and you need to fire John Hines. I can be on board with that plan, but it better be Kyle Ta- Carl Taylor that is already in line or has been promised head coach in waiting status, something like that, where it would work. Now, I, what I think is also interesting about their commentary is they're just leaving the door open to make the decision if they want to. I I, I think that's what Barry Trotz communicated to us is that John Hines is our coach today until he's not. And we're, and there could be a day where he's not. And I don't, that that's pretty standard PR sort of delivery by professional teams, colleges, whatever. Uh, They sort of do that. Now you guys mentioned the first 50. They didn't shy away from that. This is some, uh, some of the conversation yesterday from the press conference. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday uh, around lunchtime. This was all three guys, David Poyle, uh, as well as Barry Trotz and, and John Hines on the first 50 games. There's one big theme I want to ask you guys about after listening to this, and then you'll hear from uh, Barry Trotz talking about the last 20 games, John Hines talking about the first 50 games. So here's some comments from all three guys yesterday. Our first 50 games or so were not what we had hoped. Uh, our, our goaltending was very solid with Juice and, and Kevin, but we're not producing uh, five and five. Our power play, which was so good a year ago, was really, really, really struggling. Last year, multiple players had uh, career years, and most players were having trouble this year uh, replicating that. Some of our young players that played so well were really having a tough time pr- producing. So for me, it felt like every time we took a little bit of a step forward during the season, uh, then we'd fall back. And I never really felt that these first 50 games that we were in the in the playoff race, we seemed to always be playing from behind or uh, either on the scoreboard or in the standings. I mean, we all have to take ownership uh, of, of that first half of the season. And you know, I think there's different things that you will talk with, with the guys about here starting today as far as um, some assessments of, of individuals, assessments of you know, starting with myself and moving down through the coaching staff and then and then in, I think into the players. And um, But I think it starts with taking some lessons out of that. Right off the top of my head, I, there was just a, there was a lack of consistency, I think, in our in our team play and individual play. You know, our power play was, you know, was a factor at times where usually when that can come through for you, when we were a top five unit a year ago, this past season, it wasn't what it needed to be. But, you know, we had the same guys on it. So uh, I think there's there, there's some important discussions to have with the players, with the veteran players now and getting a plan together with them to make sure that we have the right answers to moving forward the right way. But I would say the first half of the season, you know, overall, I think it was just a, a, a lack of consistency in the way that you need to play to have success night in and night out. When we had to win games down the stretch, those high pressure meaningful games where the other it was meaningful for the other game for the, for the other team a winnipeg a colorado a dallas we had a lot of trouble with them so we've got some work to do let's just be let's be honest there i'm looking to get faster i want to add some size and key positions and i want to add some more a little more skill so we can we can score a little bit more that's where the the um, uh, i think the league's going and so we have some of that coming, but you're gonna, we're going to have to be patient. 
just because the what you see in a short span of 20 games, you saw the young players max out. Can they do it for 82? I don't have that answer. All right, so that's David Poyle on the first 50 being disappointed. John Hines on the first 50 basically saying lack of consistency. And, of course, Barry Trotz saying in the final 20, we just sort of maxed out. We could not hang with with the best teams, which is safe to say with the roster. Here's what I took from all of that, guys. They're blaming the players. And 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 then, and maybe that's okay. Maybe that's the right thing to do in the NHL. Maybe it is all about the players. And and I don't have a problem with that. In the NFL, it's it, maybe it's more coaching. In basketball, it's certainly more players. I I don't I don't have a problem with saying it's a bunch of veteran players that didn't recreate what they did the year before. How do you guys feel about John Hines saying lack of consistency? We had the same dudes on the power play last year, and it was great. This year, it sucked. It's all the players' fault. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if, if that's what you guys took away from it, but it felt a lot like Barry Trotz said it multiple times. Top players have to be top players. Best players have to be best players. Lack of consistency. When talking about the first 50, it felt like all three guys were were directing that more at the players than at the coaching staff. I think that's a case of it, 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 we've been hearing the top players have to be the top players for years now. That's a general manager problem. That's not a head coach problem. This has been a recurring issue over the last, I would dare say, five years. The best players haven't played up to their contracts. They haven't been the best players. David Poyle has addressed this every, seemingly every end-of-season press conference. That tells me that this team needs to go out and acquire better top players. No, I'm not going to sit here and judge Philip Forsberg because he dealt with a lot this year. Same with Matthew Shane and, and Roman Yossi and stuff like that. But if the top players are consistently not performing like the top players, then at some point you have to question, why are they your top players? Go get new top players. And I think there was a lot talked about the first 50 games. I think that's case in point for why John Hines should be considered, why it should be considered to let John Hines go. The first, the first five months of the season I feel like that was that stretch of mediocrity forced the Predators to become sellers in the first place. Like, yes, there was a great run at the end, and it, it was fun to watch the kids almost carry the team into the playoffs. But you got to remember, you're sitting here, the first 50 games, they were 25, 19, and 6. I, I think they were probably, what, six or seven points out of the playoffs at that point. And that was just kind of when everyone was, that was three weeks before the trade deadline. That's when everyone was kind of really in there like, okay, maybe this is, this is where they, they finally sell off a lot of pieces and they start acquiring assets, which, which they did. And they made a run to their credit and stuff, but I I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting mixed signals from them. They talk about how the first 50 was so bad, but then they kind of saved it at the end. Well, the first 50, I think is being bad is a bigger story than the, the final 20 being good or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, right. Right. I, they, I, they, I think they need to get their, I think they need to get their story straight on what the focus that what they're focusing on, whether the first 50 was really bad and the final 20 was really good or what. I, I don't we, know. We, we, we talked a lot, Adam, about this offseason being a pretty efficient offseason for David Poyle. It clearly his last hurrah, but a pretty efficient offseason, taking a team that was a playoff team, making it. I We all would agree making the roster better at a fairly affordable price with acquiring McDonough and Niederreiter. And then the whole thing just didn't work. Now, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't garbage. It wasn't like 30 games under 500, but it wasn't good enough. And so they end up having to sell the farm and David Poyle announces after 18 months of thinking about it that he's going to retire. So what 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 is it here? I mean, is it is it the general manager's fault for signing all the contracts and not giving the players? Barry Trotz said, Adam, we need basically to be uh, faster, (laughs) bigger and more skilled. That's those are all the hockey things. That that's all the things you do when you play hockey. Like there's no other things to be better at. Uh, so what 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 do you make of that? 
They need to be opposite yeah, so, of the way they've been playing with, apparently. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> well, to, to, to Michael's point, let's let's look at the skaters on the team. I think we can all agree that UC Soros is one of the top three to five goalies in the NHL. No question. So let's just focus on the forwards and defensemen. How many of them would you say are upper echelon, tier one, tier two, skater, forwards or defensemen? I would argue only Roman Yossi. You know, I would say that Roman Yossi is probably a tier one slash tier two defenseman in the NHL. I would have Matthew Shane and Philip Forsberg probably off the top of my head, tier three, tier four. You know, their their top players in relation to other top players are not top players. That's me saying top players a lot. But look at look at the caliber. Let's just focus on the teams in the playoffs. Look at the caliber of uh, forwards specifically that are playing in the playoffs right now. Jason Robertson, Kirill Kaprizov, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Andre Kopitar, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. The Predators do not have a forward that comes close to sniffing any of those players' jocks, to put it bluntly. You know, and that is a managerial issue, not a coaching issue. Now, to John Hines's credit, specifically with Matthew Shane at the uh, last season, the 2021-22 season, they were able to figure out whatever the hell was going on between them and make it work. And and Matt had the best season of his career. Now when Matt struggles this season comparatively, you know, how much of that is on the coach, you know, for not being able to get the same out of the player or how much of it is just a player in his early thirties that quite frankly, how much better can he get at this point? Um, So, you know, when I look at the Predators roster, you know, I, I see a roster with two players that I would consider to be elite players. UC Soros, in Roman Yossi. When you look around the rest of the NHL, specifically the teams in the playoffs, there those teams have, I would argue, more than two elite players. I mean, how many elite players, I'm trying to think of how many elite players were on the ice for the Edmonton Oilers last night, although they did lose. Um, well, you know, it's funny It's funny you say that because Dallas, I watched a lot of the Dallas game and the Edmonton game mm-hmm. and talk, talk about elite forwards for both of those teams everywhere. And of course, they both lost game one. <laughs> right, exactly. So it doesn't. Oh, yes, it doesn't always mean it doesn't always translate to success. But I will be really interested to see how Barry Trotz handles this because what's interesting is that Barry Trotz, when he was coach of the Predators, it was a different time, obviously, didn't really have elite players. I mean, how many elite players did Barry Trotz coach with the Nashville Predators? I mean, Paul Correa was still pretty good. Um, he had a broken, he had a broken down Peter Forsberg. I mean, he had early stages, Ryan Suter and Shea Weber. Those would be, Um, those would be the two I would vote on. Yeah. I mean, one could argue Alex Radulov was in that category and, you know, before he bolted for the KHL, but he didn't have a lot to work with there either. And he made the most of it. So, you know, I will be interested to see how Barry goes about doing this now, you know, I think that Barry has a lot of wiggle room because one, he's Barry Trotz and everybody in Nashville loves Barry Trotz. Mostly that's pretty much it. Um, You know, he has zero managerial experience. Now 
He spent 10 years away winning a Stanley Cup as a coach, working with Lou Lamorello uh, in, in New York when he was coaching the Islanders. But I'm really interested to see how Barry Trotz goes about acquiring talent. What kind of players does he target? Does he target the kinds of players that he coached in Nashville? Or having seen the likes of Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Matthew Barzell, you know, players that, you know, at that time were, you know, considered, you know, top tier players. Does he try to find a way to get those types of players? But to me, the you know, if anything, this this 2025 game stretch since the deadline signified to me that, you know, outside of Roman Yossi and I guess you could say Philip Forsberg, the other players weren't really all that important. Like Matthew Shane, I, I'm thinking specifically Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson. Like to me, oh, we'll we'll get to Johansson. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Johansson. But to me, I, it just it, it it's it, it's a a credit to the team, you know, and it's a credit to John for yes, I know that a lot of the young players had to play because there were no other players to play, but he still squeezed a lot out of those players. Um, yes, he was helped by UC Soros, but Tommy Novak was good. Luke yeah. Evangelista was good. I mean, that's a credit to John Hines. Those players did not perform well in spite of John Hines. But I, I think the fact that those young players played well makes those older players a bit more expendable, albeit really hard to get rid of because they have terrible contracts. Michael, I, I think that's valid, uh, Adam. Michael, I think that if this was a, uh, a hot take radio show, for example, uh, I would ask you, give me a percentage. You know, give, give me the percentage. General manager, coaching staff, players. What is the percentage of blame we have to place? And the truth of the matter is, because this is not hot take sports talk radio, uh, is that it's a combination. It is a recipe of all of the above that has created this situation. Um, perhaps a wonderful recipe from Jasper's even on, on how they put together great meals and menus for all you great Preds fans out there. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Um, it has to be a little bit of everybody. And I think you're right to point out the general manager problem is the reason that they have some long contracts on some players that aren't living up to their expectations. I do think that in hockey, and I've talked to a few, uh, you know, other coaches for sort of like around the game about this, like coaches don't make a ton of adjustments in playoff series, for example, like they can change lines, but they don't really do a like, you, you, if you're 30 years old, 29 years old, like you're not teaching Connor McDavid how to a different scheme in, in game three of the playoffs, right? Like you're not actually changing anything that takes place. There's not a ton of adjustments that you can do. I think Hal and, and C-Mace have talked about this. Uh, so I think a lot of it hangs on the players. But we talked about it last week. At some point, the coaching staff is what it is. Like, I, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Mike, we'll start with you. What do you think the fan base does if this plays out over the next week and a half and we get no real news that John Hines is just still here coaching under contract. Cause I, I can see the argument you guys are making about him coming back, but I also have heard the fan base and frankly, David Poyle talked a lot about how in exciting it's going to be and how energized everyone should be. I don't think that's going to happen if John Hines is still the coach. And again, it's not personal. He's a wonderful dude. So. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just I don't know how you sell John Hines returning to the fan base, given how many times there have been fire Hines chance at Bridgestone Arena this year and last year. And I mean, look, this is year four. The guy has had four seasons to prove that he is the guy. He was brought in to be better than Peter Laviolette. And if you look, there's not much difference between John Hines 
Fox's best season as the Predators head coach and Peter Laviolette's worst season as the as the Predators head coach. I believe there's a three point difference between the two. Yes, John Hines had a little bit more of a talented team. He had Ryan Ellis and Matias Heckel, and they were in their prime. They're a little bit younger, stuff like that. And I and I get all that stuff, but I'm I'm just I'm not sold. Look, John Hines is a fine head coach, solid head coach. You don't win Stanley Cups with fine or solid. Um, I'm sorry. That's just if if you want the fans to be excited, you're bringing in a new GM. It, it's just like they're, they're finally getting rid of Poyle, which, yes, the fans were a little bit harder on him than they probably should have been. But you're finally getting rid of Poyle. You're bringing in a new GM. It makes all the sense in the world to start over new GM, new head coach. It's a new regime. You're, you're wiping the slate clean. Maybe you need a fresh set of eyes because ultimately – Yes, Barry Trotz worked a lot with David Poyle, and I think a lot of fans are worried about, is he just going to be a continuation of David Poyle? I don't think we have to worry about that. But you're bringing in a fresh set of eyes from a GM perspective. I think it would help to have the same with a head coach perspective, too. And and, it's, and look, four years, I have so many issues with John Hines, and it's hard not to just to just go in and on all of them. But I just, I don't see how you can, after four years, like John Hines is what he is. We talked about it on the, on the podcast last week, like his playoff record. His, his head coaching record, everything he's done, it speaks for himself. And we talk about like how great all the young guys played when they came up here. And we talked about how, I know we're going to talk a little bit how like we wouldn't have saw them if it wasn't for the injuries. I think that is another knock on John Hines. All those players played really well. He's supposed to be this great developmental coach. You think he would have called one or two of those guys up and injected them into the lineup and stuff. So I just, I, I the fan base, I don't think will be happy. There, I think there's a growing population of the fan base that will give Barry Trotz the benefit of the doubt for maybe half a season and see how it rides with John Hines. But I think most of them are still going to just not be happy with the fact that John Hines is still here because they, they're ready to move on. Yeah. Um, speaking of the young players, I thought it was, I, I, I don't want to say telling, but it's certainly even going from Poyle to Trotz is sort of the predator's way. <laughs> it's just like the most predators thing you could do. Um, and, and and even then, the, the the conversation around the young players, like we would not have seen Evangelista or even Tomasino or maybe Novak or, you know, Parsonen or I- Igor Afanasiev, which, by the way, David Poyle, 30 years in the NHL as a general manager, still cannot say the names of his players. Um, some of them, at least. Um, it, it did take me it did take me like a, about a year to get Afanasiev correct. But uh, what, what I want to know, first of all, Adam, from you statistically um, in with your um work at, at sport logic is is there any are any of these guys more or less likely to replicate their success this this season you know barry trott spoke openly about luke evangelista opening his eyes and changing his opinion about his role next season um i, I guess that's that's one part of this this question and then is there something that we need to learn from the fact that these young players would not have played if not for the injuries like we, we would not have had the teardown the fun 20 games learning about these guys we wouldn't have had that like the predators didn't do that on their own <laughs> right like it it sort of happened to them on accident or unfortunately if that makes sense i think from what i've seen you know there there are things to like about tommy novak's game specifically on the offensive end he's not the uh, uh the most uh, diligent defensive player um, I, I think that uh, Luca Evangelista has uh, has a really good opportunity to be a, a consistent producer at the NHL level. You know, to me, the question is, are are those players going to get the same opportunities once everybody is healthy? I mean, Luca Evangelista, for example, won't be on the top power play when Philip Forsberg is available, most likely. Um, you know, if they're playing fewer minutes. 
or or not uh, or not getting you know not playing with you know top talent will they continue to to produce that that's the question and, and, and another thing i was thinking about as it relates to the coaching question is when you think about the criticisms of john hines as a coach and, and michael and as michael said he's he's gone through them all over the course of many many podcasts um i, I feel like the the criticisms of him are not unique to many coaches around the NHL. Like let's let's use the developing of young players for example. Predators fans who do not like John Hines think he is bad at developing young players, and the cudgel that is used against him is Ellie Tolvanen, which is a fair criticism. Tolvanen, his comments after he was waved and claimed by the Kraken were illuminating talking about how he didn't know what kind of player he was supposed to be on a nightly basis because he was asked to do so many different things and that screwed with his head. I I can understand that. And that is a mark against John Hines and a mark against David Poyle. But as I alluded to earlier, Luke Evangelista, Philip Tomasino, um, Tommy Novak, those players who had you know solid ends to the season, Though they did not do that in spite of John Hines. They they clearly had some influence. I mean, he clearly had influence on their opportunities and how they played. I think Tommy Novak, since he made his season debut, ended the season playing at like a 65 to 70 point pace. He didn't do that by saying, screw you, John Hines. John <laughs> Hines coached Tommy Novak. And that is how Tommy Novak had the season that he did. So there, I feel like the arguments that you can make against John Hines can be made against a lot of coaches. I bet you could go on a similar, you could go and listen to a similar podcast on a similar network that covers a different team with a coach in a similar position. And they would say the same exact thing. You know who, you know, who was criticized for not being able to develop young players, Peter Laviolette in Washington, same thing. (laughs) Do we think, like I said before, Peter is not a bad coach. But he had that same issue. He relied too heavily on veterans that weren't pulling their weight. A lot of younger players that Capitals fans wanted to see in the lineup. He did not play them. They spent their time in the AHL. Same thing. So I don't think the criticisms of John Hines are unique to John Hines. I think they are a, I think any team with fans who are not happy with their coach can find the same thing. So like, and the other thing is, I like Carl Taylor a whole lot. I think Carl Taylor is a very good coach. I think Carl, you know, he was an AHL coach of the year um, a couple of years ago. He, he, you know, the fact that the Milwaukee Admirals continued to play well when basically half of their team was in Nashville speaks very highly of Carl Taylor. But I'm not, pre- I'm not pre- prepared to just give him the job. Like interim. I think that interim job. I'm prepared to give he- him the interim job. I would be, yes, if John Hines starts next season as coach and is fired midseason and you want to promote Carl Taylor as interim coach, I am on board with that. My personal choice for full-time head coach, if they make a a coaching change, is Spencer Carberry, um, who Mm -hmm. is an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs, was both the ECHL and AHL coach of the year, and was, most importantly, the head coach of the AHL Hershey Bears when Barry Trotz was head coach of the Washington Capitals. So there is familiarity there. 
And I, I mean, and, and, and that is a popular name. You know, I was listening to Elliot Freeman talk the other day, and he said that Carberry was the runner-up for the Bruins job that went to Jim Montgomery. And look what Montgomery's done in Boston. Now, to <laughs> say that Carberry could have done the same thing, you know, that would be that would be wrong. But to me, to go back to my point, I only fire John Hines if there is a clear yeah. replacement available. If there is not, I hold on to him and wait. And if you fire a midseason interim coach, Carl Taylor. That that's fine, but I would not fire him for the sake of firing him unless you unless you know somebody who is clearly better. All right, I want we're gonna I want to play some audio about them talking about Johansson. We're gonna talk about the transition to Barry Trotz and finish on a high note with some uh, nostalgia here. But real quickly, um, just give me like ten seconds here, Michael. What happens with John Hines over the next two weeks? Nothing. Something percentage chance. What do you got? I think he comes back. I, I think they're like, like Adam's saying there, I think that's why they, they haven't announced anything is there is no clear air to the throne if you want. So I, I, th- I think he comes back. Adam, 10 seconds. I think do it in, I think do it less com- than 10 seconds. I think he comes back. All right. I think he, I think Monday showed us that he is in fact coming back. All right. We're going to hear from uh, the guys talking about Ryan Johansson in just a second, but first the gold standard is brought to you by at the same time, boys. Jaspers. Jaspers. That is right, Jaspers, everybody, on West End. Free parking, the next evolution of the sports bar. As I mentioned already, it will babysit your children. That is not officially endorsed by Jaspers, but I'm telling you that it will babysit your children. As long as they're they're sort of capable of being on their own in the game room on the other side of the restaurant, uh, you can actually have a pretty nice meal. Sit down, uh, relax. They'll come back to the table and eat their burgers and fries, and then they'll run back into the game room and take care of themselves for at least 36 minutes. Um, that is about it's a, it, you know what the Jasper's game room will watch your children for more time than Ryan Johansson will see on the ice next year. How about that? Ouch. Is that like, is that, to- is like that total or per game? No, like per, like per game and then like per visit to Jasper's, right? Like, is that mean spirited or is that just sort of a fact of where we are in Ryan Johansson's career boys go to Jasper's by the way, Michael. <laughs> To quote professional wrestler L.A. Knight, that is not an insult. That is a fact of life when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to uh, Ryan Johansson. Uh, all right. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, that was just a joke. I was just kidding. Uh, but the food is great. And um, again, gold standard cocktail named after this year podcast. We appreciate their support locally owned and operated here in Nashville. The menu is fantastic. They got a new Thai barbecue salmon. They've got great vegetarian options. They got great pizzas. They got great burgers. They got great. The queso is ridiculously good. Not that queso you get from like cheap, trashy restaurants that like turns into a ball of cement in your stomach. It like stays nice and delicious and gooey. It's go check out the queso. It's great. Uh, Okay, go to Jasper's. All right, here was here was a (laughs) Barry Trotz was asked about Ryan Johansson uh, and some of the veterans, and he was talking about top players being top players as we've mentioned. But here was his conversation. Here was his his answer about the most important summer of Ryan Johansson's career. I think Ryan's got uh, the type of injury that he has, probably has a little bit more time to it, to getting to a place where he's going to, you know, get to so he can be a contributing player. You know, Joey's going to have to have his best summer. Uh, The league is getting quicker. Joey's a skillful player. He's got size. He's good on face-offs. He's got lots of things to offer. But the game is getting quicker, and he's not. That's not one of his strengths. So, how do you get that half second back? 
you know, it's going to be a summer training, all that. And then getting into a role where, where it makes sense for him as well. And uh, so right now I think he's, uh, he's, he's chasing the, the moving train a little bit. But it's, he can catch it, but he's going to have to have a, a really good summer. And, uh, and then the, his play coming into training camp and all that will, will sort of dictate his role uh, in terms of you know, how, how far up the lineup he plays or, you know, or far, how far down the lineup he plays. That's just the evolution of as your team gets maybe a little deeper in the center ice be it with like a Tommy Novak type guy or Parsons moving to the middle there's there's lots of options for the coaching staff so it's in the players hands and they really a lot of times uh, everybody thinks that that's the the management's uh, decision to make the player makes the decision for the management usually uh, based on how prepared they are how how, how they perform and, and then the decisions are made after that all right, boys, I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot like a challenge to an $8 million player who's only got a couple years left on his contract from a team that has a new general manager and a bunch of extra cap space should they want to buy out a player who doesn't maybe fit their future. Michael, what do we make of uh, Barry Trotz's commentary and scouting uh, analysis of one Mr. Ryan Johansson? Yeah, I think it's a good thing Ryan Johansson was there because I think it, you, he would have had a harder time saying that to someone who's standing there balancing one foot on a scooter with his knee up and, and stuff. So I, I think he's right. I mean, the pressure is on Ryan Johansson. Matt Duchesne was in a similar boat last season and he had a career year and 40 goals and all that stuff. I, I don't think Ryan Johansson is capable of that, especially at this point in his career. But I think the pressure is on him. And from the, from people I've talked to, I've heard that Ryan Johansson has been quote unquote put on notice what that means. I don't know. I'm assuming that either you perform and get up to our standards or a buyout is fully on the table. And I mean, I I believe the buyout is 2.6 million for the next four years. If they do buy him out, which they can afford given the the salary cap space that they cleared at the trade deadline. But then you got to look at it. If that's the case, you're paying $4.6 million for the next four years for for Kyle Turris and Ryan Johansson not to play for you. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bad look for this team. I, I, I would assume that Ryan Johansson has to have at least a shred of trade value somewhere, whether that's a sixth or a seventh round pick or something. Like He's still a respectable player. He had a really good year last year. You may have to eat some salary to make a trade work, but I think a buyout's probably more likely than, than trading him, but... He's still a serviceable player. I, I think that if he comes back and he has a good summer and he works with the coaching staff and the stars align perfectly or whatever, like I don't think he's a terrible player to have on this team. But he, I, I think the days of Ryan Johansson as a top six forward are probably over. Yeah, how many times have we heard similar things from or about Ryan Johansson at the end of a season? I know that this season he, he suffered a, a, a terrible injury. But how many times have we heard him or someone say about him, "This is a really important summer for me. Uh, I've got to be, I've got to, you know, be motivated and come back in great shape." Like we've heard that from Ryan Johansson for like the last five or six years. And and do, do I have think, a lot of, hang on. Do you think I want to let you go on this? But do you do you not think this was a little bit more specific? Like, hey, he's an older player. The game is passing him by. Speed is not his is his best attribute. Like, didn't this feel more specific and targeted? Yeah, probably. And, and as we saw with Barry's answer in regards to John's job status, you know, Barry, uh, you know, I think the fact that Barry 
doesn't have a previous relationship with a lot of the people in the organ, you know, a lot of the decision makers currently in the organization and the players specifically, um, I think is, is tremendous because I think oftentimes, and David Poyle is not alone in this, general managers fall in love with their own players. Barry has, Barry has coached some of these players. I mean, he, he was there when Roman Yossi began his career, for example, but he doesn't know Ryan Johansson really, you know, he didn't, he didn't trade for Ryan Johansson. He didn't sign Ryan Johansson to that contract. So who get, what, what does Barry care if he, if he says something about Ryan Johansson that tries to light a fire under his ass. And I think the fact that now you, you know, Ryan is coming off of a, you know, a freak ankle tendon injury and is already being told that he wasn't really fast enough. I, I think, you know, as I think it was Barry who said, you know, he, he was catching, he, he's trying to run after a moving train. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think that, that double whammy of not being fast enough to begin with and, you know, suffering a, a foot injury, I, I think is really going to, to hamper Ryan Johansson. And to Michael's point, if the, if the predators wanted to buy out Ryan Johansson this summer, you know, they would save around 5.3 million against the cap for the next two seasons on Ryan Johansson's contract alone. Uh, but then they would carry an extra 2.666 million or so in the, in the, you know, in the following two years. So to Michael's point, you're paying clear, you're paying almost $5 million to two players per season that you don't, that you would no longer employ. Well, you know, to me, I think the, the, the right thing to do would be to buy out Johansson next summer. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Buy him out next summer. So you're only paying for an extra year instead of an extra yep. two years. And, you know, to me, you know, Ryan Johansson, I feel like you're, you know, I feel like Ryan Johansson is now going to have to be somewhat of a specialist. Like, you know, he, he, maybe you put him on your power play one and, you know, he gets, he gets a lot of his points that way, but I would not give him difficult matchups at five on five. I would play him, you know, on third or fourth line minutes at five on five. I would force feed him a ton of offensive zone starts. Basically, I would shelter him almost like, and this might be, this is the name that is going to, you know, send a shove, a, sh- uh, a shutter down Predators fans' spines. But I would play him almost like the Predators played Mike Ribeiro back in the day, <laughs> which is, which is like starting 75% of his shifts on the offensive right, zone, right. playing him on the power play not playing him on the penalty kill, not giving him any tough defensive matchups. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think Ryan Johansson is a more complete player than Mike Ribeiro, but I think you're going, I think you have to get to that point with Ryan Johansson. He is not, in my opinion, a top six player in the NHL anymore. And I, I you know, which is, which is unfortunate because I think he's had a, a really good career in Nashville. Um, but I just think that what we saw from the likes of Tommy Novak and, and others is that there are younger, hungrier, faster players who are ready for top six opportunities that Ryan Johansson no longer is a shoe in to have anymore. If, so, yeah. If, if we are in an, if we are going into a period of time that would be considered transitionary, right? Transitioning from Poyle to trots, possibly transitioning at head coach, transitioning a blend of experience and youth, as they talked about top players have to be top players. He's, he's a, He's a situational player. I think there's a good year of transition for him, a team that's not supposed to be that great next year anyway. I know David Poyle thinks otherwise, uh, but I think best case scenario, they're scrapping and clawing for a wild card spot at best 
right? I mean, I don't think anybody believes this team is a top two or three team in the division next year. So I think it's a, cha- a transitionary year for him. You, you save one more year off the cap, and then if you want to buy him out at the end of next year, I, that's at, literally what I was thinking as Michael was <laughs> talking us through all the numbers. And I don't know if that does anything. Do you guys know? Does that do anything to change the actual 2.6? Does it just become 2.6 for two years instead of 2.6 for four years? Is that the only difference? I believe they... that is the only difference, okay. but I will yeah. I will double check that. So I, I to me, that's literally what I was thinking. Is like, all right, this is your this is your last hurrah. This is it. Um, you get get to the the last year of the contract. You buy him out. You send him on his way. Fans get to say goodbye to him this year, whatever. Uh, you know, even if it's even if they don't know they're doing that. Um, which leads us to Barry Trotz as the general manager. And Adam, you've already alluded to uh, some of his relationships that he's got. I, I just I want to play a kind of a combination of all the things that Poyle and Trotz said about the transition, how lucky they are. Poyle makes a joke about coming down and talking too much to coaches and Barry Trotz saying, dude, you're the GM, which of course now is Barry's role while John Hines is sitting there. So I want to play some comments about the transition. And then I want to get Adam, we haven't talked to you much about your thoughts on the actual ability of Barry Trotz to be a general manager. Um, So I want to touch on that. Uh, But here, let's listen to what they had to say about the transition moving from David Poyle to Barry Trotz. Today, the process uh, begins towards next season, how where we're going to begin our exit meetings uh, today and Barry will be involved in those. Uh, We're going to go through the same process with our coaches and our staff and Barry's going to be involved in those meetings as well. We'll meet with ownership uh, to review our organizational structure and our plans going forward and Barry will be involved in that. And we'll soon be beginning our preparations for the entry draft which will be here in Nashville and Barry will be heavily involved in that. Actually, I don't think we have had many disagreements. I got, I got mad one time in the first couple of years in expansion where I came down and like we were, it was hard to win, so we we're losing every game like three to two. And of course, I'm the general manager. I said, I came. I said, why don't we try to like get three goals, or or why don't we? Uh, I'll, I'll accept losing five to one, but let's let's try something different. And I just Barry was like, you're not a coach. <laughs> I think. The one thing that, that David has is a wealth of experience in his position. I've acquired a, a wealth of experience in my position over the years. And I think the hockey and the, and the, and the coach and general manager sees the game a little bit different, but at the same time you see it meshing together. And I think that's where I think David has allowed me uh, with respect uh, to voice my opinion and uh, and, and I listened to David's opinion, and then we're able to state it, and then we, we there's no ill will or anything. It's just our, I, we, you need people to express their opinions because when you look at it from different angles, it's it's different. It's from a player's angle, from a coach's angle, from a general manager's angle. It's all different. The game's way different when I'm sitting with David upstairs than it is when you're behind the bench where John is. It's just a different view of the game. With Barry coming on board when he when he did, I mean, a peek under the hood, I think that's served him unbelievable. There's been so many things that have happened in, in this last month or so with the injuries, the call-ups, the, the trades. I mean, it's been a real education, you know, right there. His ability to, to travel with the team and to be with the team and, and John and the other coaches and to talk to them and what have you, I mean, this is really feels like a good transition. I and mean, People don't get to, to do this, so... The one thing that you, I think you're, as a coach, you're, you're defined by the schedule. And 
I think as a general manager, your schedule is defined by the situations. And so it's just different. You'd have, as David says, you're going to love this job because you never know what's coming around the, around the corner. What door is opening, what door is closing. That's invigorating to me. You know, I'm looking forward to it. I always say we've got some great leaders in the locker room. Uh, and David's been a great leader. And I define leaders by um, when, team, when things are tough, you're not going to the back of the line, you're going to the front of the line. And David's always done that. So there's going to be stuff that hits the fan. Um, as we say, and uh, I'm going to have to be first guy out the door to, to say, hey, I'm taking this head on, and uh, David's always done that. All right, Adam, I want to start with you with a really straightforward question, which is, do you think Barry Trotz is qualified to be a, a top-level GM that can carry a team and build a team to a Stanley Cup championship? That's clearly his goal. I do, just because of how long he has been in the game. Um, and as I said, the most important thing for Barry Trotz, in my opinion, is the fact that he just spent the past decade in two other organizations. So although Barry is not a fresh voice in the sense that he's Barry Trotz and this is the Nashville Predators, he is a he has a decade of experience outside of the organization that he can pull from to, to put his mark on the team. And I think, although Barry has not been a general manager before, he clearly has an eye for talent, you know, having, you know, being on the bench for as long as he has. And I think, you know, there is going, there are going to be some growing pains. I think the fact that he is Barry Trotz is going to buy him a lot of time and goodwill in the community and the fan base. And I'm really interested to see how he approaches his first uh, off season as a general manager. Uh, specifically when it comes to the players he brings in to be on the team next season. You know, not to disregard all of the draft picks, but I'm more interested in the moves that he makes, whether it be trade or free agency, to 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 put, you know, to put a roster together for next season. Um so yeah, I mean, although Barry is a rookie in in, in that in that regard as a general manager, I think he is better suited for this than some other rookie general managers. Um, you know, in recent NHL history, those that did not have, you know, you know, a plethora of front office experience. Michael, I know you and I've talked about this, that if it's the most predators thing of all time to go from David Poyle to Barry Trotz as the only general manager switch in the history of the franchise. Um, and if it works, it will go down as one of the greatest moves in Nashville sports history. If it does not, it will be lauded as the, the continuation of the predators way to a fault, right? Like that's, like that to me is what, and I, I get a lot of that when I'm listening to them talk, like David Poyle's saying a lot of interesting things. Let me take you under the hood here and show you how this has worked. We've done a lot of things and he's learning on the fly. He's had a lot of education in this process. And I want to say, you know, what else is a really good education in being in the front office as a general manager, being in the front office of an NHL team for 20 years to earn your way up through the ranks to become a general manager. That's not an anti-trots take. That's just sort of a fact in my opinion. So when you hear him talk about the to, to Adam's point, Michael, when you hear him talk about we're only going to go get the right type of player, right? He he made that point a couple times on Monday. We're not gonna if the player doesn't fit what we want, we're not gonna get him. That sounds like coach trots to me, and and maybe it works. Maybe it's GM trots works great in that situation. But that reminded me, my, like my fear in hearing that is that it's that he's still to Adam's question, what has he learned? 
from those years away from the organization, has he evolved his way of thinking or is he still going to try to implement the Predators way? And I, I think that's the concern for a lot of fans that are, are that are being honest with themselves. I think most fans are just like lollipops and unicorns and rainbows. We love Barry Trotz and he's a great guy. But I, I think the, the fans that are asking themselves, like, is this real? I think the concern is that it's too much of the Predators way still. Yeah, and that was probably the biggest concern I had when I heard that Barry Trotz was taking over. I was like, the the, the guy, the head coach that was here that had a top line of David Leguan, Martin Erat, and Sergey Kostitsin is now in charge of going out and gathering players for this new the, the team. And, and and look, Barry Trotz was very famously they were he had a lot of fans, but there was also a growing segment of the fans that wanted him out because he played dump and chase kind of hockey, an old school kind of mentality. And there was, I don't know, he didn't, I don't want to say he didn't evolve while he was here because he clearly went somewhere else and won a Stanley Cup. So he, the guy's a good coach, but I think that's, that's a criticism that he's going to have to, I don't want to say it's like a chip on his shoulder that he's going to have to like prove to people or anything like that. But I think it's something like, look, he's had almost a half a season of shadowing David Poyle from, from at until after Christmas until whenever the draft ends or whatever. He's he's basically had a half a season of shadowing David Poyle. And I'm sure David Poyle has a list of players that he would want to bring back, that he would want to re-sign, that he would want to trade for. But I'm sure he and Trotz are going over that list and going over the benefits and, and all that and stuff. And I'm sure that, that Barry has a list of players that he would want to acquire and players that he wants to bring back and stuff. And, I, and to Adam's earlier point, I do think it's good that he has, he has a history with the franchise, but he has a fresh set of eyes in regards to the current roster because – Ryan Johansson, I don't think ever would have left this roster had David Poyle still been a GM because David Poyle looks at, at Ryan Johansson and he sees it cost me Seth Jones, who I did not want to give up to go get him. And it cost me $8 million a year over six years. There, David Poyle had a lot more sweat equity into this team than Barry Trotz does. And I think Barry Trotz, if he has to get rid of, of Ryan Johansson or if he has to get rid of Matthew Shane, what does it matter to him? He's the new GM and he's tasked with turning this team around. So yeah, I, I do worry when it comes to the player acquisition part of this for Trotz as a first-time GM, just because, like to your point, is he going to default to head coach mode instead of looking at it through the through the eyes of a general manager? And I think that's something that he's going to have to prove to people that that's that's something that he's not going to have to struggle with. I, I think Predators fans hope, and I think this is Adam, your point. I think Predators fans hope is that he went out and saw what elite talent looks like, what it can do for you, and that the game has changed in ten years since he was here. And that he is willing to evolve into that as a general manager. And he he did say, you know, look, we got to get more skilled. We got to get faster. You know, those are things that he mentioned multiple times. And that speaks to sort of the, what he saw in Washington and, and in New York. And, and if he brings that back here with their same sort of back foundational focus on goaltending and blue line, then maybe that is the right recipe. Again, is that is John Hines the right part of that recipe? Like, who knows? We, we don't know. Um, all right. So let's let first of all go to Jaspers, everybody. We love them. Support Jaspers, guys. Go eat there. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. You can do happy hour. You can do um, you know, business lunch. You can take the spouse, you can take the kids, you can kind of do anything. Great place to watch the games. Uh, you got Stanley Cup playoffs going on, you got NBA playoffs, you got the draft coming up, all kinds of good stuff there from Jaspers. And of course, they're catering our draft party on the 27th. Uh, tickets are available if you want to go check out the 440 Sports YouTube page to sign up and come hang out and watch the first round of the NFL draft on the 27th. Uh, Jaspers is catering that for us because they care about uh, charity in, in the community, our kids. So go check that out. Um, let's let's sort of put on let's take off our reporter hats for a second and put on like human being hats for a minute. Uh, of course, the, the, the game ops people do a thing for David Poyle on Friday night. 
We haven't even talked about the two games, by the way. <laughs> by the way, um, and they kind of say they, they kind of do their thing with David Poyle. He certainly had his moments, um, you know, on on the on the dais there with with Hines and and Trotz of clearly understanding this was his last uh, moment on the on the on the stand. Do you guys have do you have any stories? Uh, do you have something uh, an anecdote? Uh, I got to do a couple of shows with David Poyle. I know you guys have both been around him. Is there anything that uh, unrelated to the future of the franchise, John Hines is firing Barry Trotz's ability to su- succeed Ryan Johansson's contract, any of that other garbage, take that all off the table. Um, what will you remember most about David Poyle? Michael can go first. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's think... not a bad thing. I'm not like saving up something. I'm just Michael's the, the co-host. <laughs> no, I, I'll I, let him go first. I, I thought you were scared to because you needed some time to think. So you're going to make Michael go first. <laughs> go go ahead, Michael. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the thing I'll remember most about him just from my own personal experience was he was very generous with his time. He did radio interviews with, with both both stations um, whenever he had media availability. Uh, he would always stick around and answer those few extra questions that maybe a reporter, like a newer reporter like myself, didn't get a chance to ask because there's so many people that are just trying to barrage him with questions and stuff. Um, and I, I think something else I remember, too, is just how much the man cares about su- the success of this franchise. And he even said um, in the press conference uh, when they were talking about the succession plan of Barry Trotz taking over, that he made it clear that he was never going to put his selfish desires to win a Stanley cup over what was best for the team. And, and it's just rare to see someone who is that, hum- <clears throat> excuse me, who is that humble, who cares so much about a team. And yeah, he probably could have stuck around for another couple of years and he probably could have made some trades and brought in some new people and reconstructed the roster and, and had another go at this. But I think it was, he realized it was time to move on. Um, and I think, I think he's at peace with it. And he even said like, he, he knows his legacy isn't defined by the fact that he didn't win a cup. Um, and I just think the way he's handled the transition process just speaks a lot to his character. You can question the moves he made as general manager. You can question keeping John Hines around and question keeping the core around for as many years as they did and all the, all the moves on the ice that he made. But I don't think anyone can ever sit here and say that David Poyle did not try his hardest to, to win a Stanley cup with the predators. And I think it's just seeing someone that cares that much in a, in a position in the front office was, it was kind of, it was fun to watch. It was, it was great to interact with him and stuff. And he had a, a legendary career and, and good job for him. Yeah. Look, I, I think we can all agree that David Poyle is a, is a really good man. Um, you know, taking aside, you know, his job as a general manager, but just as a human being is a really good person. Um, when I was when I was laid off last summer, David was one of the few members of the organization to actually reach out to me. Um, to, you know, he called me um, to let me know that you know he was the sad to see me go and to you know thank me for all of my coverage. Now he definitely didn't have to do that because, especially near the end of my time, him and I always didn't see eye to eye. Um, I think we got into, I, we didn't get into arguments, but I, I think, you know, I, I clearly did not agree with a lot of the decisions he made and, you know, was pretty, uh, vocal about them or in the written word. Um, but, you know, put that aside, realized that, you know, we all have a job to do, you know, and, uh, you know, I really appreciated, I really appreciated that, um, just because it was something he didn't have to do, um, and uh, it meant a lot to me uh, that he would do that. 
um, it, it was a, it was a short conversation. It was probably about 10 minutes. Um, but I, I, I felt, you know, like I said, I, I really appreciated him doing that. And, and I told him when we, when we were wrapping up that conversation that, you know, I know that we didn't always see eye to eye. I, I know that, you know, my, my opinions of your work in recent years have been more negative than positive. Um, but I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for you as a, as a general manager. And I, I hope that even when we disagreed that you understood that, which he did, and, and that was good as well. So, you know, it, it will be weird for Predators fans, Predators reporters, you know, hockey reporters in general, not to have David Poyle, you know, in the game, you know, front and center. I mean, the guy has been the general manager, a full, like a, a full-fledged general manager since 1982. Um, so it's when I was born. I'm 40. Yes. Yes. <laughs> August of 1982 was when he was hired in Washington. And, you know, obviously his front office career extends beyond that, you know, in lesser roles, but you know, it, it will be really interesting, um, you know, and really weird not to have him around the game, but he, he, he's a great person. You know, he should be commended for, you know, creating indelible memories for so many people here in Nashville. And, uh, and, and to Michael's point, I think he did the right thing and stepping away now. You know, my concern was that if he held on and kept trying to win and chase a cup that clearly wasn't going to happen in the next few years, that he would be in danger of tarnishing his legacy a little bit. Now, I don't think people would hate David Poyle forever or anything like that, but I feel like people would think of him a little less fondly yeah. if he wouldn't, if he would have held on a little bit longer. So I think he stepped away at the perfect time. Um, and uh, I wish him well. I'm, I mean, he's, he's got a great family, great wife, great kids. I, I'm sure that he's, you know, excited to be a full-time grandfather um, and he deserves it. Well, I don't think he's going to be not around the game. His son is in the front office, and he's, right, so, right, and he's right. sort of an advisor. I bet you he does a lot of crispy-like things over the next few years. He's just going to be wandering around Bridgestone, kissing babies and shaking hands. And I, I, I think, uh, and I, I also had more than a few moments where I was on the radio saying things that I don't think David Poyle particularly appreciated. Uh, and I heard about that uh, often, <laughs> let's just say. And I think... Um, one of the things I kind of to, to to put a to, to put a bow on both of your points, I think he is one of the most competitive human beings I have ever talked with ever. But he never let that part of him affect the way he treated people, if that makes sense. Like to sit like other people we know. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, he never he he could be the most driven, ambitious, competitive forced to focus on what he's doing kind of guy you've ever been around in your entire life. And it, and he would still to Michael's point, take the time to answer your questions. Even if he didn't really know who you were, he took the time to do radio shows with me when he didn't really know who I was, um, took the time to call you Adam after that, even though you had been critical of him, like he, he, all, he never let like that incredible competitive juice that drove him for 40 years to be the winningest general manager and franchise and NHL history to to ever sort of affect the way he interacted with human beings and and from what we know about how he conducts meetings inside the building it's very much i've hired good people i'm going to let you have your say i may not always agree with what you're saying but i'm going to let you voice your opinion i will explain my opinion and then we're going to 
sort of respectfully work through it to the future. And so I think, I think all that's, all these stories are pretty, I mean, I, I think all the things that people say about him, um, same thing we said about Pecorine, uh, same things we say about Barry Trotz. It doesn't mean they're going to win championships, but um, they are all extraordinary people. And there's a reason that they all, you know, <laughs> they all still live here in Nashville. So, uh, or at least two of them, two out of the three. So uh, with that, uh, Adam, tell everybody where you, because we got some fun stuff. I'm going to play you guys here, some audio uh, to, to wrap up the show today to sort of leave you on a high note, uh, just like these couple stories here. But Adam, where can people find you, read your work, follow you on Twitter, all that good stuff. You can continue to follow me on Twitter at Adam Bingen. You can find my work at sportsnet.ca. There you go. The .ca always screws me up. Uh, Michael, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore, and I, I promise I will get some Preds stories out. I've been flagging <laughs> there, but No, it's all it's all good. We've got a lot of stuff to do still left on the show this summer. We've got a huge draft. We've got the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've got all kinds of fun stuff to do. We're going to do a lot of looking back on some teams. We've got plans for you guys, uh, you, you listeners for the gold standard. So don't go anywhere except for Jaspers. If you are going to go somewhere, go to Jaspers. It's a great place uh, to hang out. So instead of uh, signing off today on the show, and by the way, Adam, Michael, appreciate your time today. Uh, instead of signing off, we're going to let uh, David and, and Barry uh, take us away here. So thank you guys all for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. I'm very proud. As I, as I step away, I believe the franchise is positioned for future success. We have the right people in place with Barry at the helm and those around him. With the moves that we recently made at the trading deadline, we have 13 draft picks uh, this year, which is most since 2003. Uh, The recent uh, trades, as I said before, brought us draft picks and prospects, but also created cap space and flexibility for, for next season and maybe for the next few seasons, which I think is very important. So as Barry and his team, you know, take over, Barry's going to have the opportunity to, to evaluate and will evaluate our, our current roster, our prospect pool, and determine when the right time is to add, add players or payroll. But all the avenues are open to him, which I think is a, is a luxury in today's, today's game. Nashville is totally unique. It is family. It is passion. It is people uh, more so than, than any other franchise I've ever seen. And that's what makes Nashville a unique, unique organization. And that's what makes Nashville a unique city. Um, it's got a vibe. It's got a passion. It's got a understanding that, that some cities just are numb to. They don't get it. We're, we're getting all the good stuff. Um, and and that's, that's, why, that's why I want to be here. That's why this is home. And that's why I, I want to hopefully take uh, the franchise to to a place that we haven't got to yet. And uh, that that's sort of my goal. Uh, so as I wrap up and pass the keys to, to Barry, we really have keys and we have a pass. I have a pass for, <laughs> for Barry. There is a path forward with a bright future, a path forward with a bright future for the National Predators. It is going to be a process. It's going to take some time. I ask our great fans to give us a little bit of patience But I also encourage our great fans to enjoy the ride. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great to come to games. It's going to be great to watch our players grow and develop and ultimately get back to where we want to be. Barry, you got the keys.